0: Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Hey, good day to you guys. Thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. We appreciate you guys listening to our podcast. Today, we're having to record. Uh, by Zoom, and uh, so the audio is still going to be quality, and that's cool. We're we're being wise with our health and, and managing our situation around us, and so and and getting content out. So we're excited to be able to to come to you today, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up today our little series on cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity. We're we'll be talking about moralistic therapeutic deism, but before we jump into such a weighty topic being the sports fans that we are, I've gotta get the bad football off my chest. So Keith, you just you told me before we really kinda of jumped into our content today that you fell asleep in Monday night football watching the Falcons before it got to really their elimination. That tells me really kinda of all we need to know in regard to football is you were already asleep. So Yeah,
1: well happened? you know if 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 uh if the Falcons' history is anything, um, is any kind of predictor, I should have stayed awake because it's when they go ahead early that they have a chance to lose.
0: That's right. It's
1: possible that if you go, if you go drop behind early, maybe they can win, but it, it didn't work out that way either.
0: <laughs> it did not. The Falcons are so bad that my theology begins to, to get wrecked, right? I start thinking <laughs> yeah. it's because I'm watching them. Right, God <laughs> right. is paying me back. Like He's getting even for all that stuff that I did before I became a yeah. Christian.
1: Yeah, karma. You start start believing in karma.
0: Yeah, completely. Yep. I go I go transcendental in my world, uh-huh. view, man. It, it's, it blows my mind, and it's all because the Falcons are that bad. I, I, I swear it's their fault.
1: Well, it well, it, <laughs> <laughs> things may change on the coaching staff here soon um yeah so you may not be the only one thinking that
0: that's true and i hate it too because i never want to wish for a person to lose their job i get it like no. it's bad like I, that's just i feel bad even wanting that change to take place however however in an entertainment industry where results are the bottom line and you're getting paid a lot of money to get results uh i don't feel so bad about it um but i do kind of feel somewhat bad hoping we have a coaching change here soon i don't know what coaching change will do for us right now um dirt cutter is a terrible play caller in my opinion and getting rid of quinn i don't know how it's going to fix play calling but who knows
1: man yeah yeah well, well we're about a week away probably from finding something out
0: yeah i think we probably are once they reach that playoff elimination point i think we're probably going to see see some Yeah. Tanks Trevor, yeah. man. How cool would it be to, to get the number one pick, draft Cartersville native, Trevor Lawrence on our Atlanta football team? That'd be nice.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome, man. You talk about doing a lot for attendance yeah. um locally. I don't know. I haven't heard if, if Trevor's has even spoken out about that. Like surely he would love to come back home to play.
0: He did say that's his team growing up, love the Falcons and, and so you would have the the Benz would sell out just Cartersville people oh yeah you know so i'm in
1: (laughs) yeah i think it'd be awesome be great for atlanta probably
0: let's start the hashtag trending thank for trevor let's thank for trevor all right well keith we got to talk about nominal christianity and there are all many all manner of things we can talk about um one of those could even be the the nominal christianity we we talk about the sports god right the the god that chaplain God, right? The the one that you seek to to help us in our sports world, but we want to kind of bring this thing to a conclusion as we move into a political season and some discussions we want to have as Christians taking our theology and wallowing around in in our world right now. We want to talk about moralistic therapeutic ideas. Now, what in the world is that?
1: Well, it's a a shame that uh, this sort of this characterization of nominal Christianity has got such a <laughs> academic name to it right because it really is a i think it's the best description of what we see in nominal Christianity in our world in in America now Christian Smith i've been following um this study for a long time Christian Smith is a sociologist he's got a colleague that worked with him but a sociologist at the University of Notre Dame that began studying the um the religious lives of teenagers Right back in two thousand three ish, and they've taken the study all the way through like two thousand thirteen. So they studied these guys over a long period of time, and what they were trying to find out is what what are the religious lives like for um, for Christian teenagers? Well, now these guys are adults; they're you know some of them approaching thirty these days, and what they basically did was they it was three uh, it was a a series of three looks at these guys' lives over a period of about ten years. And they drew out of these, these studies and interviews. They were in-person interviews. There were, um, they talked to their parents. They talked to them over the phone. There's all sorts of, they talked to them in public places. Um, and they, they said, look, it basically boils down to five points. Um, so the five points um, of what, the, what teenagers from 2003 to 2013 believe are, are five things. one that God created the world and he ordered it, um, but he really isn't that involved with our life. Okay, number one. Number two, what God requires of us is generally to be kind, fair, and good. So that, that's, that's the requirement of this faith in this God. Yeah. Third, um, God's goal for us, ultimately, why would God create us and get involved in our lives at all anyway? It's so that we'll be happy. Okay, so... Happiness is the goal for, for this God that started the world and kicked everything off. Fourth, um, again, God's not that involved in the world. He sort of set this thing out. He is kind of overseeing it, uh, but he really doesn't get involved in your life until you really need him. He's sort of like a, 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 a grand therapist in the sky. And then finally, um, as far as, you know, destiny, everyone goes to heaven who are good. So good people go to heaven. Those are, these are the five points. And the reason it's called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism is because, you know, deism just means you believe it's sort of this belief that there's a God out there, but he's not that involved in the world. Um, it's moral because it's all about being good, kind. Like you, you keep hearing this over and over again. Be good. Be kind. Be happy. That kind of thing. So it's moralistic in that sense. Right. And it's therapeutic, which is the one that, that maybe is most informative for us and in our, our culture as we're going forward. It's therapeutic in the sense that, God, it's all about me. Right. It's all about me and my happiness. And all this worldview keeps turning back in on my, 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 and right. whether I'm happy, whether I can be autonomous, whether people are going to affirm me. Right. And that, so that's the therapeutic part. So it's moralist, it's, it's moralistic, it's therapeutic, and it it it, aff- it affirms this deism.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And and so what we've done is is those things you just masterfully unpack because that is that is the definition of moralistic therapeutic deism. They work their way out into our nominal our uh, in name only Christianity, which is which is deadly because we're putting Christianity on top of something that's not Christian. So we've got s- some statement that really speak to those five parts that you described. So um, let's start with uh, this idea. It's not in the seven, uh, but you, you hit it so well. So I'm totally like, I'm, I'm audibling right here. The therapeutic part okay. that it's about, yeah. me. we'll come back to these seven things, but that really, um, it resonates with me because I, I'm a product of, like, even as you're saying that I find myself going, well, what about me? What about what I need? What about what's in this for me? What am I getting out of X, Y, and Z? So, so how do we see the therapeutic part played out in our Christianity?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's, the thing about this, this worldview is that it's, it's believable. Yeah. like it, it appeals to us, and there's, there's a lot of truth in it. Like when you say that, that God created the world and he ordered it, well, that's 100% true. But right. you've got to tell the rest of the story. He's also a real being with real requirements. Right. And so um is my Christianity therapeutic to me? Yes, absolutely it's therapeutic to me. It's right. the best news that I I could ever possibly hear about my ultimate good forever. Yeah. But there's some there's some boundaries to that. Uh, and you know, you look at you look at these five principles the the, the last four completely and utterly hang on the nature of number one, which is what is God like? Right. And is he knowable? Because, you know, God wants us to be good. He wants us to be happy. He will help us when we get into trouble. And if we're good, we go to heaven. All that 100% kind of hangs on whether or not how you define good. Right. Well, we, we as Christians know we can't define good apart from God. Good is defined in God's nature. And so what is therapeutic for me? What's, what is good for me and what's healthy for me? Is it healthy for me to um, completely reject any number of things that are in the scriptures? Even, even though it may make me feel good, like temporarily. Well, no. So, so what's therapeutic for me is what God says is therapeutic for me, not what feels good to me.
0: Right. Right.
1: So that's the problem with the therapeutic nature of the world we live in. The therapeutic nature of the world we live in is, listen, what do you want? And let's see how we can get it for you because that's, what's going to be That's, what's going to make you happy. And that's not a biblical view of, of what we need.
0: That's good. I, I, Even in my house, how how sometimes we epitomize this in in the past is um, is I would ask the boys sitting at lunch after worship service, what did you learn? What did you get out of the service today? And that's a very benign question until I dive into the fact that I'm actually asking them what they got as opposed to, did you bring the Lord something of worth today? Did Mm. you give the Lord something of worth from yourself? Were were you presentable to the Lord in what you brought, right? Did you bring the best that you have or did you give him a piece of what you thought you should offer in order to appease him? And the difference between those two is a therapeutic view of God exists to meet my need versus I was made for God's glory and I brought him something of value today. Yeah. Um, So I've uh, done that in my own house and how I ask yeah. questions of a Sunday morning experience
1: of my son. Well, it's, it's so, um, it, the, the messages of, of moralistic therapeutic deism, we'll just call it MTD, so we don't have to keep saying that, but right, th- the nature of MTD is that it's insidious. It's everywhere. It, it if, um, if someone would, you know, there's the secular world, and then there's the world of folks who go, no, we're not secular, we're Christian, but inside Christianity, this message is everywhere. It is. So it's, it's, it's hitting our kids' ears. It's hitting our ears. Um, it, sound, it just sounds right that God would be some sort of therapist for me in the sky, that if when I have trouble, I would go to him like a genie in a bottle almost. Right. Uh, because in some sense, he does that. But it's, when, we, when we think through, like, why is this even important? Why would we even have this conversation? Well, because it affects every single decision that we make. It if, right. if relationships, you know, our, the way we spend our money and our resources, all that really leans into this notion of well, what is God really like yeah. and how can we know? Well, we know not because of what science has told us, but we know God from the, from the fact that he's been revealed to us. And um, he, from the very beginning, began to give us as human beings instructions, specific yeah. instructions about what we're supposed to do. God didn't show up in the garden and ask Adam, "Hey, what do you want to do?"
0: Right. No,
1: God coming from the perspective of, "Look, I created you. I know how. I know the kind of world you need to live in to flourish. Therefore, do this."
0: Right. That's right. Absolutely. That that's solid, man. And 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 I, I think the truth of the matter is we could do multiple episodes on just unpacking MPD and how it works itself out into our, our, our location. So let's take some statements, and, and let's, let's play with them and unpack them for a minute. The, the, the first one is, good people who believe in God um, that aren't Jewish or Muslim are Christian, right? So Christians equals good people, or Christian equals a good person who believes in God, and they're not Jewish and they're not Muslim.
1: Yeah, so... Right?
0: So that, that's what Christian
1: is yeah that is that is unfortunately what most of the world believes and that's the, the sad part is these are these are these are the beliefs of religious teenagers yes right this these aren't secular people
0: right right that's the thing they that's that sort true they're in our they're they're sitting in chairs on sunday morning singing our song. right
1: right so um I, I, I don't think you know a lot of guys will go well you know it's because preaching is so bad you know in our churches I don't, you know, I feel like, you know, I, you could you could probably build a case for how preaching has, has sort of gotten weak over the over the years, but I think these kids are hearing so much uh, contrary to what they are hearing at church in their in their um, the lives in the public square right. that it's overtaking what they're hearing in church. It's not that they're not hearing that Christ is the only way to God; right. it's that they're here once a week and they hear everything else over and over and over again. Right. But the, the truth is, the Bible is very clear that the the reason you go to heaven, it will never be on your ability to be good. Right. We are as you know, as the Bible says, we're goodness is placed on us because we are in Christ.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 piggybacking on something you said there, I think uh, this whole idea of what we hear outside, entertainment rules our lives, right? And so uh, if we don't keep up with entertainment, uh, we don't keep up with methods to keep people interested, they stop listening. And then then their theology goes the way of their entertainment. And I'm firmly convinced that that, uh, when people stay attuned to our message because we entertain them, faith is replaced with style points. And when style goes away, faith goes away. And and uh and then and then you begin to have aberrant theological belief, right? People begin to get off the rails. I, I firmly believe that if if my faith in Christ has to depend on a good looking, well-spoken, entertaining <laughs> preacher, um, my faith is misplaced. But if my faith is in Christ, whether I have an old city or country preacher who's not seminary educated, but they know their Bible and they know the gospel and they faithfully lay God's word out in front of me and, and, and lead me to, to love Jesus more. If I can't go down that road, um, then, then my faith is misplaced, right? And so this hobby all this information that's coming at us gets us into an entertainment culture. Entertainment culture takes our eyes off of what matters. And the next thing you know, our theology says good people who believe in God that aren't Jews or Muslims, they're Christians. And remember, right right crazy road man and all manner of things get us there
1: yeah and we have to pay attention to that stuff we, we the, the object isn't to shut it out you know right we, we don't want to not hear what the world has to say that's right about because we're called into the world right i mean that's something that
0: yeah that
1: we just we believe we, we have to go into the world with this message but we need to know what folks are saying and what they're thinking but we have to do it in a way that doesn't get on us you know that's right. You know, it needs to just, we need to be involved in that world. I, you know, I listen to all sorts of um, radio stations and television stations and personalities that completely disagree with right. me. It's hard. I mean, it, it can really get you down right. when you listen to this stuff over and over again, but I feel like it's necessary. Yeah. But, but there, I go there to those, um, to those outlets knowing that I'm going to hear a different worldview. And so I'm, I'm hearing it, trying my best to hear it through a biblical worldview, which is different than going there as a consumer. That's right. Um, you yeah. know, it's just like you've talked about when, when you watch a movie, you watch a movie with your kids and the whole point is we're going to process through this and we're going to talk through the, the worldviews that are being pushed at us yeah. with these movies. It's, it's a great way to teach people how to uh, be uh, wise viewers of, of, um, you know, of the media and, and Hollywood and so forth.
0: That's right. Absolutely. All right. A, a second, a second thought here. Um, MTB might be epitomized in the idea of a person who admires Jesus. They admire him, but they don't fully follow him in obedience. An admiration of Jesus, but not complete obedience to what Jesus said.
1: Yeah. So that, that would, you would have to know what Jesus said. To, right. to be able to say whether or not you're going to follow him or not. And it, it feels like most of these guys are, are getting their idea of who Jesus is from popular culture. And um, there's, there's no shortage of, of folks out there who aren't Orthodox Christians telling us who Jesus was right. and who the historical Jesus was as opposed to the Jesus of the Bible. Right. And so um, Jesus didn't leave any room in his language that we have recorded for us in the scriptures. He didn't leave us any room for partial following.
0: That's right. There's no such thing as part obedience. Obedience either is or it it isn't. And I've even thinking in terms of, um, even in our current climate, the co-opting of Jesus. We admire Jesus politically in order for people to listen to us or maybe give us their vote. So it's crazy how both sides of an argument can co-opt Jesus, admire him for his teaching on this issue, but ignore his teaching on that issue. In order to convince people of something, so there 's an admiration of jesus but i 'm not going to follow him in regard to that issue yeah he's for me and this, but oh, what about that? Oh well, we don 't believe that part of the Bible, or not all those words are inspired yeah so I admire his teaching when it satisfies what I want
1: yeah well you're, you teach you're, you would basically be treating Jesus as if he 's just another um sage right because you can do that with a with a human being you can say look he's human after all he's, he's going to get some of that wrong but right. on this area he meant he had he was dead on man and we we admire jesus for this part of his his worldview and this his stance but the christian worldview is that jesus was god which right. means he doesn't get any of it wrong so right. we we filter these comments um, and we put them together with these comments and you can't leave any of it out when you put it all together, you, you, you get this uh, comprehensive view of who Jesus was because he's our best look at who God is. And so we, we can't leave out the, the stories where Jesus let people walk away because they wouldn't give up everything. Yeah, we, we can't forget the stories where Jesus was really harsh to people who were selfish and had wrongs, wrong, wrong hearts in their worship. Yeah, that's right. right. There, there are so many. There are so many. That I remember when I had in a library once. I saw a book. It was the hard sayings of Jesus, and I was like, "That, <laughs> like, who's going to read that?" Right,
0: <laughs> right. But that because has there are
1: <laughs> Yeah, right. Because there are so many right. hard sayings of Jesus. Jesus said hard things to us because it's what he knew we needed to hear it.
0: That's right. What's well, like Mr. Beaver says from the Chronicles of Narnia? He is good, but he is not safe.
1: <laughs> right.
0: No worldview is safe underneath Jesus. He crushes them all. He's not just to be admired. he's to be worshipped fully okay
1: that's all right it. and you know and the thing that in our world where life is therapeutic for us it, it we we have this tendency uh, to push back because of what culture has done to us. We push back anytime someone tells us something that that makes it that is that is harsh or can feel like it's going to cost us something. I just want the good news. Tell yeah. me the good news. Tell me where I'm doing well.
0: Yeah.
1: And and let me know about those things. But right. the truth is, in a real world where there are real dangers, then there we we need to hear corrective. We know this as parents. It, it make, that makes sense to us. But as a having a heavenly father, we need to hear the things, and we should expect to hear things that, that are rough on our like they sound rough to us, yeah. But it's but we know it's good for us.
0: That's right. Well, it, I think it speaks something to to the challenge we live in when what is good for us feels rough. It means something's out of balance, something's wrong, and we've acclimated to something that's actually killing us. Uh, and what is good actually feels hard, and it, yeah. it should clue us into there is a problem uh and and but often it's like no we just keep going down the path of what feels at the moment good when in fact it's death and and it's not life so another uh, another thing we might hear in mtd is god created the world he watches over life and he wants us to just be good he created the world he watches over life for the purpose of making us good
1: yeah, we we watch now. We we're, you and I are having we're having this discussion fresh after a debate last night, a vice presidential debate, where you have two, two different people who I think were fairly respectful to one another. I mean, they, they had some harsh um, they had some, some harsh exchanges, which you would expect. But I mean, what you're looking at are you you've got two different people who legitimately and honestly, I think, see the world completely differently. That's right. Like you've got Kamala Harris who feels like what's good for the United States is an entire set of propositions. And you've got Vice President Pence who feels that this set of propositions are going to be good. They are both, I believe, and you know, people who are cynics would disagree maybe, but I believe both of those people believe deep down inside that they have what's right for America. Yeah. If, if they can do what they believe we need to do, yeah. and it will be good for America. Right. The problem is they both can't be right. Yeah. So this business of what's good hinges on something, right? Yeah. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Yeah. And the question is, where do we go to, to figure out who's right and who's wrong? And this isn't, a, I mean, this isn't a question I'm posing or trying to bring up for a political sense. It's true for when I'm talking with my child. Right. When I'm having a conversation with my business partner and we're trying to figure out what's good for our company, you can't just say, be good. Right. You essentially have said nothing when you say, be good. Because if if Hitler, yeah, if Hitler says, be good, he's saying something completely different
0: than when Jesus.
1: His his SS troops here kill all the Jews. Yeah.
0: That's be good. Right. Right.
1: And so we've got to do the hard work, and it is hard work, to to anchor this notion of goodness and what's right to something. And it goes back to, well, who is God and what's he like? Because, you know, what's right for um, my daughter when she begins to date and my sons when they begin to date, and what's right when it comes to where I'm going to spend my next paycheck and what's right where I'm going to invest my resources and time, all that's informed by my worldview And honestly, um, it all begins there. Everybody's got a worldview and everyone is religious, whether they say they're religious or not.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. That's it. And so for us as having a Christian worldview and rejecting MTD, we have to come and say, well, what is good? And who is this God that's determining good? Because who he is and what he says is good is a whole different conversation than just culturally what do we think is good um, yeah. when we allow what is good to be co-opted with anything other than the nature and character of God as revealed in scripture we find ourselves in a dangerous place We saw that i mentioned you know hitler and and ss and even had that in the lutheran church that allowed good they got they allowed themselves to be co-opted by a nazi regime and so what was good was what that regime said they were the standard of good for as but as Christians, our standard of good is, is the God of the Bible and what His Word says. And so yeah. some benign standard of good is not good enough, according to the God of the Bible.
1: Yeah, so Mitch, the, one of these things we've got here that I'll get you to comment on, um, it, it follows in with good, this notion of being happy, like what leads to happiness. Right. And I was, I was, I was reading something the other day just about how Depression and suicide in the West, in Western countries, is on the rise. I don't yeah. think that, that probably wouldn't surprise anyone. Even in the Scandinavian countries where it's sort of hailed as um, the, the place that's finally gotten it figured out. How they, they can live together at peace and everything's great in Scandinavia, except for the fact that they're, they're taking more antidepressants than anybody. Suicide is, is crazy at, at high levels in places like Scandinavia. Right. Yet, what the, so what does it mean um, when we read in MTD that God wants us to be happy?
0: Right. The, the, the idea that God wants us to be happy um, is this idea that I should push back against anything that causes me to not feel a sensation of joy or peace or some manner of what I perceive to bring joy and peace, whether it be prosperity or ease or any of those things. So somehow that's what God wants for me. And we see, we see MTD epitomized even in Christian circles in the prosperity gospel that mm. co-ops the nature and character of God and says, God wants you to be happy and self-actualized and have this manner of joy. And the problem with happiness and joy for them and for this worldview is that those things are circumstantial based Mm. upon what you have or don't have. And what I would say is the notion of happy is not evil. It's good to be happy. It's good to have joy. But from a Christian worldview, sometimes, and this is emotional because not all of of life is easy for a lot of us. We have this book in our mm. Bible called Job, that there are eternal purposes in difficulty. And, and and the and and sometimes God, in his grace, if the Bible is true, not only allows but actively puts us in hard places. Because ultimately, for me, is ultimately what's good for me is not being happy, but it's Job 42.5. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That somehow mm. this idea of faith in God becomes tangible reality. And my ultimate good is seeing and knowing God. And if it took losing everything I have, my health, my children, all my possessions, to do that, it was good for me. Yes. Good for me. And, and, and here's the crazy thing, Keith. It's not as though God isolated him, himself from that or insulated himself. He comes and he takes on flesh. And he suffered. And he is mistreated and he is abused. And he had nothing. And he was born under circumstances that were suspect. And he is murdered by the Roman for my sin unfairly. <laughs> right? And so, and 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 that's the God of the Bible who is himself happy and full of joy and defines happiness and joy. So MTV says, My happiness and joy comes with all these good circumstances and the God of the Bible says, no, sometimes happiness and joy has to pass through difficult and he models it for it.
1: Yeah. And so that's,
0: it's different.
1: That's powerful. It's, it's really utterly distinct in when it comes to worldviews that, right, that this God would show up and and suffer. Right. Um, gods don't suffer. (laughs) Human (laughs) beings, human beings suffer because we're, we're less than gods. Right. Right. But no, I mean, in Christianity, we see that that um, that Jesus did suffer, and there's that's the great thing about, about our faith. There's no there's there's no meaningless suffering in the Christian worldview. You look at folks like Joseph. If you had connected with Joseph in the early part of his life and asked him, "Hey, are you happy?" <laughs> he probably would have. Yeah, he may have said yeah, but it was in spite of all this awful stuff that was happening to him. That's right. Same thing. That's same right. thing with Job. We know Job wasn't happy, um, and we, we look at you know ultimate things. It's it's our perspective of ultimate things and our ultimate destiny that protects our joy. Um, I, we love sports. You and I both love sports. If you if you connect with it, if we're um, you know if if your team is in the fourth quarter, you're down by two points, and man, you are. It's the you're you're moving the ball down the field, you're on the 10-yard line, you are utterly exhausted. You know, your body hurts, everything. You know, and if somebody could stop you for the second and go, look, are you happy right now? It's like, look, I feel awful. <laughs> this, is, this is miserable. But, right. yes, I am happy because we are about to score. That's right. We are moving the ball. We're, we're going to win this game. But right now, I feel awful. That's right. But that's that's what perspective does for you. It helps you understand that. Look, the pain and misery that I'm dealing with right now is 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 achieving for us a glory that far outweighs yeah anything that that I could achieve right now. That's right. That's that's a very important part of the Christian worldview, and it's lost in in this view of Christianity, this MTD view of Christianity. And many of many of the people that we interact with are like. Christianity has failed me. I'm yeah. not happy. Right. When, when that's an unreal ex- expectation to place onto our worldview. That's right. And I,
0: I'm convinced that's because we have, we live in a place where naturalism, the predominant worldview that has, it's in its last throes. Naturalism is dying a slow death, but we, you and I were raised in a culture of physical world is all there is. And we were taught various worldviews that that were that were the religious manifestation of that. There is no God, there is nothing beyond this. And and the idea that I have to get all of my happiness now is rooted in the idea there's nothing after. This. Yeah. And if there's nothing after this, then well then that's right. Eat, eat, drink, marry, be given in marriage for tomorrow we die. There's nothing else beyond that. Mm. And so For us to incorporate naturalism, and we even see it in in the theological world, where we even have debates about whether or not you can have theistic evolution. Can you read God on top of a godless process? And we would say, well, of course not. One is rooted in the belief there is no God. The physical world is all there is. And one says, no, God created everything that is and rules over. And so the idea that my entire life can be miserable and have eternal purpose to it, Can't exist apart from a biblical understanding of the nature of man, the nature of God, and eternal purpose. Even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Not because I might not die in the valley of the shadow of death, but because you're with me. I may die. I may get stuck with a spear. I may die of the pestilence, but you are with me.
1: Yeah, and so uh, a familiarity with, with the the apostles and what happened to those guys at the end of their lives. Yeah. I mean, it, it just throws away. this whole notion of the fact that they would have been happy by the standards that we know happiness today is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, well, those guys get, they, they literally gave their lives for something that was more important.
0: Yeah. I'm, and uh, I'm totally convinced that the sheer joy in knowing Christ drove them to be willing to suffer because there was something else to be had beyond the fight.
1: Right. Right. So
0: eternal joy that pushing that.
1: Yes. So here, here's the question, Mitch, for the, for myself and for everybody who's listening is, is a life where you follow, where you can follow Christ. Like if the only thing that I'm going to get from my faith is that one day I'm going to be with and spend eternity with Christ in a place where all things are set as they were supposed to be, right. if that's all I've got to look forward to, is it worth it? The answer is yes. I think for the folks that, that are, if you're talking to one of these 17-year-olds who are now maybe young, young adults, and say, look, what if you're, you don't feel happy? Right. What if, what if you call on this God and he doesn't give you what you want when you're in your time of trouble? Right. Um, what if... Um, what if I tell you that that person that you love dearly, that you've loved your whole life, that they're not born again, and because they're not born again, they're not going to go to heaven. You know, if, if a person can hear all that and go, well, I'll reject that. right? They're, that's not Christianity. That's right. You haven't, you haven't taken your cross, and you haven't called up there and, and died with Christ. It's, right. it's the ability to accept everything that Jesus told us, and know and still trust him, that, that is, that's the faith that's saving faith.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Whatever happens here is absolutely, utterly okay in light of what is gained when I come to the end of this, this maybe difficult road that God has ordained I walk.
1: Yeah, and ultimately, that's a more satisfying life anyway. Absolutely. You can add in all the dreams, all the hopes, uh, snap your fingers, you've achieved it all. Right. And without that, without the, the peace that comes with knowing that ultimately I'm going to be okay. Right. It's none of it can measure up. I mean, it's the only thing, it's the only hope a human being has.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Okay. Here's our last really sort of component here of uh, dealing with moralistic therapeutic deism MTD. Um, God is really only needed when there's a problem. Sort of Jesus take the wheel, right? So things are yep. out of control. I need God now. There's a problem. And and then maybe, just maybe, I'll go to heaven when I die if I've done good, right? So God, God take the wheel. I'm depending on you, so I need you now. And because I need you now and because I've been good, maybe I'm going to go to heaven.
1: The question that I I wish, you know, you could see people's faces as we're having this discussion, because I would like to, I'm wondering if people are hearing this and they're going, well, yeah, isn't that true? Like what's wrong with that? (laughs) Uh, How many people out there? And I I believe there's a lot. If, if, if we'd be honest, I think there are a lot of folks out there who are, who who don't want to believe anything different. You know, they, they don't want to believe that um, that, all my good deeds are going to achieve for me something. And surely these 10 people that I know that aren't in church right now and don't give any, any respect really to the God of the universe, those people surely are going to go to heaven. There's something in us that wants to believe that. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But the, the truth is that's what, that's what trusting Christ and trusting Yahweh, the God of the Bible is all about. We have to trust that even though it doesn't feel good to us, that without Christ, you don't go to heaven. It can feel unfair.
0: Right. Well,
1: part of, part of trusting God and trusting the Bible is trusting that we don't, we don't know it all. We, we do not see the world as it really, really is. Only God can. We have to trust that that system that he's laid out for us in the scriptures, that Christ is the only way we have to trust that that's the best possible scenario for human being. That's right. And so we, we have to just reject everything else. And when, when it, feels uncomfortable to us to think about our, our cousin who's, who's lost not going to heaven. We just have to trust.
0: Yeah, you have to trust.
1: And be motivated
0: right. to evangelize. Yes, there's, it should push us. There should be an evangelistic zeal from that that pushes us to say, there's no guarantee this person is going to go to heaven unless they hear the good news and respond in obedience or, or through repentance and faith. And so it should be an evangelistic zeal that pushed from that. I heard a story, and I think it's actually true. I, I read it in a publication about uh, the Queen of England was, was uh, Queen Elizabeth was in a motorcade and her window was down. She was waving to her subjects and someone tossed a the rose. They were tossing things at the car, you know, honoring the queen. And the rose actually went through the window, had a thorn on it, scratched the queen. They arrested the person who threw the rose. And people were just in an uproar. Like, how in the world can you can you arrest this person? They were showing honor, and the response was because it was the queen. You'd thrown the rose at some general person, no big deal. But because it scratched the queen, it's an offense. And 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 the point was, it's who was offended. It's who was wounded because of your mm. action. And and man, I immediately thought of. It's not so much the innate evil of my actions, right or wrong. It's who they've offended. Mm. And it's the God of the Bible. Like I have absolutely rebelled against the God of the Bible. And so no amount of good deeds done, roses thrown at, songs sung to, services attended are good enough. They cannot measure up. My sin has offended, wounded the God of the Bible. And yeah. The object of my sin is the reason I'm deserving of death. Mm. And and therefore the only way for me to have that fixed is to have that God pardon me.
1: Yeah. And forgive yeah. Me. It's, it's an undervaluing of God to see it any other way. We, right. we, we can, like I said, we can only see the world uh, as it partially as it is. God sees it as it really is. And he's, Thankfully, he's given us revelation so that we can see beyond what yeah. we're capable of knowing and observing through the observable universe. That's right. But at the end of the day, um, you know, God has shown us who he is. He's given us the ability to know what he's like. Right. And we have to, we have to live according to that and live consistent with that. And what we, what NTD does is it, it's basically a form of humanism. It's basically saying, look, humans we are we're good enough to figure it out on our own right we don't need revelation we don't have to pay much attention to the bible we can just sort of look around our world and because it these things seem right to me and because they seem right to me this is what's right for us christianity says no we don't know what feels what is right for us the only way we can know is through the god of the universe who created it all we've got to put our minds there and what you know, humanism would say, well, that, that's completely, you know, it's, it's just not true.
0: That's right. That's right. I think we always come back to this, but I think it's, it, it, it bears stating as we wrap up our time. The only reason we can have this perspective is because we have a book that informs yeah. our thinking and understanding of who God is. And when we come in contrast to MTD and we see it manifest in our world, the common denominator in all of it is lack of actually knowing what our book says and its application to what it says to our world. And then absorbing other theologies. The world's full of theology because the Bible teaches us that demons teach theology, right? Mm. Um, the demons believe theology. They just don't worship. They have better theology than we have, right? Yeah. And and, and yet, and yet they they don't worship the God of the Bible. And so when we come back to the scriptures, it is us knowing and then making application in our world that takes and will have an end to moralistic therapeutic deism as we make. And the scriptures known. we know them and we make application. It comes back to the Bible.
1: Mm, yeah. Every time that seems to be the, seems to be the thing, right?
0: Yeah. It's what distinguishes Christianity, biblical Christianity from every other aberrant form or bad theology. It's what does the text say? And, and for yeah. us as evangelicals, we hold that close to the best. It's a hill we would die on.
1: Yeah, we have to, because there's too many, there's too many messages out there conflicting messages about what Christianity really is, who Christ was, who God is, uh, what, who man is in relation to each other and relation to God. There are so many messages out there that conflict with one another Right. You're left scratching your head saying, well, what in the world? What am I supposed to believe? Well, you're supposed to believe the scriptures. Right. And there, there, there's only one way to know what they say, and that's to get in there and dig and be a part of, a, be a, part of a, a church that preaches the scriptures every Sunday and, and have folks that you can, yeah. that you can um, get clarification on various issues from your brothers and sisters in Christ and let the Holy Spirit speak through yeah. um, others into your heart and through the scriptures themselves. Absolutely. But it, it it's anchored to the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And Absolutely. and that's that's what that's what we've got to hold on to.
0: Absolutely. Right. Well that's that's a good place for us to end, or we could talk for another hour on MTD <laughs> its effect yeah. in our world. Keith, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking this stuff with you. It's fun.
1: Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for letting me be part.
0: Yeah, absolutely, brother. Listen, guys, we thank you for listening. We appreciate all you guys out there. We are passing our 1,000th download. People are listening, and we're grateful for that. So we encourage you to share the podcast. And uh, as we get ready to move into a political season and have some discussions about that, uh, we'll be drawing season one to a close and preparing for season two that will launch in January. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next week. Sweet. Thanks, Got Keith. her
1: done. Yeah, man. Covid, Covid shall not overcome.
0: Covid shall not overcome. Absolutely. Hey, uh, how's everybody feeling?
1: Everybody's doing better. Marsha's better. Um, my sister Robin is is a lot better. Good. She's. They. They both are still having some fatigue, but that's about it. They don't have any other symptoms. My mom woke up this morning. She was better last night. She woke up this morning feeling like her chest was a little bit tight, which concerns me. But her uh, Amanda. Amanda Trammell. do you know the Trammels, don't you?
0: I do, yeah.
1: Yeah, Amanda came by and brought her a um an O2 sa- saturation monitor so she could measure oxygen levels and it's this morning it was 98, which is awesome. So That is good. She's, you know, she was having a bunch of GI issues and that's better. So the only thing she's got this morning, I, mean, I talked to her early was yeah. that she was just feeling a little bit tight, but that that's not unusual for her. I mean, she went, she's 80 years old when she gets up in the morning. Right. She she it takes her a little bit to get going.
0: Right. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad they're they're on the upside. Praise God. Yeah. Good deal, man. We'll uh, continue to pray for y'all and, and uh, let me know if you need something,
1: man. Okay.
0: Thank you, brother. Enjoyed it, brother. Yeah. We'll see you, man. i right. see you. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week, and until then, deuces.